What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Last week, we had a huge week at the PLL. We announced our official Ticketmaster partnership, and then Miles Jones was traded from Chaos to the Redwoods, which was one of our most engaged Instagram published posts. And then just earlier this week, it was announced that midfielder Romar Dennis was also traded, this time from Chrome to... Atlas Lacrosse Club. So now we're teammates, and he's this week's guest on the podcast. So a double whammy. Welcome to the herd, Romar Dennis. And a quick note per that call out. This podcast was actually recorded way before that trade happened, and way before I mean like seven days. But neither of us had any idea that there was even a whiff of a trade happening. And I'm not sure the coaches had even poached the conversation yet, which, mind you, both of those coaches are new to the PLL this year. So let's go, Rubes. Way to get it going. Now to the interview. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Hope you enjoy. All right. We're here. Romar Dennis across from me. Welcome, brother. Thanks for having me. L.A. resident now. Yep. Santa Monica. There you go, man. How long have you been in L.A. for? Uh, mid-October, October 17th. And do you love it? It's awesome, yeah. I remember sitting with you a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that now, when we were talking about your career. Do you remember what uh, restaurant that was at? At Waters in Canton. My guy! Yeah. <laughs> at Waters in Canton. You had a notepad, like I have a notepad right now, sitting yeah. down we were talking about professional lacrosse, your career, mm-hmm. life. I remember I listened to like four of your suiting up podcasts just to have some talking points. And I'd, I'd never heard a podcast before that weekend. Yeah. What so, were the talking points? Um, well, I just, I honestly, for a long time, I thought you just got paid by your sponsors and then just like worked out and shot all day. <laughs> so I, now I, then I was like, oh damn, he kind of does a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> I really, I didn't know that until that point. And the PLL wasn't announced yet. So, right. Yeah, I I didn't know a lot of what you had going on. That was probably, would you say that was a lot of the perspective of players? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you talk about it with Kyle a lot, how there wasn't a professional lacrosse player. What did that look like? And like, I thought, we thought like you just shoot and work out and get sponsored by to go do like photo shoots and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like, I didn't really think there'd be a business side to it. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting because... I could have done that and maintained a sponsorship portfolio and shot and hung out. And there's a lot of athletes, no matter the sport, that do that. And there's a lot of actors that do that. And then there's a lot of athletes and actors who also, on the entertainment side, start learning about production and start their own production house and start writing and learn how to write and start writing their own scripts and directing and producing. And then there's a lot of actors that start investing because they learn about the business of sports or their sponsorship portfolio. And then they start asking questions and doing things differently. So I think it's catered a lot to the individual, but we've talked about the the opportunity. So as hard as it has been to build the PLO, as hard as it has been to be a professional lacrosse player in air quotes, because you've had to supplement so much. It it was also in hindsight, a great opportunity because it was a forcing mechanism for me to kind of, teach myself different skills yeah um and I mean, you were going in i i got that experience this summer of being a pro lacrosse player i just i quit my job in june so i just worked out and shot all summer yeah <laughs> how'd you feel I, I felt great i got i had one of the worst like uh 
injuries I've had in my career. I had a lower back sprain the week of training camp. Ugh. And because I wasn't working, I was like my recovery was so fast and smooth, like with the with PT and really. Yeah, because I'm not sitting all day. I'm not like I got to just recover, work out and just tend to that injury full time. Yeah. But that's also as to the frustration of how this year went because I was like, I'm never going to have that kind of time again. I'm, I'm going to be working full time. Because you jumped over to CAA now. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't get you to like give us a couple more summers just being full time. Yeah. <laughs> we try not to even talk about it. So it's, it's, it's funny because you were asking me. So, so a lot of my image that I was pushing out was to create a an aura around what I always felt a professional lacrosse player could be. So I wasn't posting about building a camp business and all this other stuff because I felt like that would detract from the dream, which is when you're younger, you want to just play professional sports and play professional sports and get paid for it. And that's yep. it. You don't need to like supplement your income. And I still hear that in meetings anyway to, to your jump. I was really excited about you leaving finance and being a full-time lacrosse player, but you know, You've just taken a job with CAA. You're in, you know, the industry that you want to be in. You get to play while you're doing it, and that's a decision that you've made. Yeah, um, I'm I'm excited. I jumped back into it. I liked kind of the routine I had going on while I was working. I just didn't like the job I was doing. So now I'm back to the the workouts before work, and I love it. It it, it works for me. You like stimulating your intellectual capacity. Yeah, yeah. but like this morning, I was up at four forty five. Uh, I started, I've That's learned earlier than me and it's, <laughs> it's 8.30 now yeah. in the evening. I started so came straight from CAA. Yeah. Student tie. Uh, I started, um, my first week of work, working up, waking up at 5.30. Second week I went five and then now I'm going to try to do 4.45 because that's so you have enough room and time to work out. Because with my first job, I jumped right into it, just trying to get up at five first day of work and I couldn't stay awake past lunch. I was take, drinking like four cups of oh, coffee. So you're building endurance. Yeah. Of waking up early. Well, the other thing about falling asleep at work typically means you're just not enjoying work. That too. That should have been my first red flag. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I took a job and I didn't share this on, on social back then, but when I was first drafted, I was working in real estate. Yeah. I'm talking that. about that. It's on your LinkedIn. It's on my LinkedIn now. Yeah. Cause it's a professional platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I took the safest job I think I could get and, um, I, I can't even believe I stuck it out that long. I, I really didn't like it. Yeah. Um, you're wired that way though. Your parents are entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, my parents work hard. They're always working. Yeah. And they push you to work too. I remember yeah. talking to your folks. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times. They they instilled a work ethic pretty early on. They didn't like that I was pushing you last summer to just be a professional lacrosse player full time. My mom didn't like it. She didn't like it. No. She told me that. Yeah. My, I was like, you know, we, we've got to let him do it. Yeah. My, my dad <laughs> was like, hell yeah. Well, he was a professional baseball player. Yeah, the Yankees, Triple uh, A. So he loves it. Did he ever make the majors? No, he did four years Triple A, or some so double A. He knows the grind. One of my favorite films of all time is The Wrestler, with Mickey Rourke. Have you ever seen it? Mm -mm. Uh, it's just, it's professional sports, and behind the scenes of the grind. So it, it's actually about uh, professional wrestling. Okay. And how those guys and gals don't 
get compensated at a level of a core four sports league and they pay for their own travel and transportation and hotels and even the wwe superstars do that outside of the top ones that have a specific rider really now now yeah it's just the structure of their business um and and the market doesn't get it because vince mcmahon and company do such a great job of marketing and you look at the viewership and all the attention and stuff so you just see pro athlete it's a different business model anyway uh it showed what comes out in the film is that like deep inside of an athlete is this passion for what they do and that moment of excitement in his case in a match in the middle of the ring in our case even when we were playing in front of empty stadiums in mll underpaid under resourced playing against another top player in the world like we know that and we would still commit to it and i know that that's similar in minors i know that's similar in the g league yeah, absolutely. What, what would your dad sa- share with you on that? I mean, one, just the parity between pay. Like some guys coming in 18 years old making like 50 grand, some phenom from the Dominican Republic making a million. Yeah, Like it was just people from all different backgrounds and all different income. And it was long bus rides in like upstate New York. So it was like a culture experience in itself. Spring, spring training down in like uh, where we had IMG Academy. Yeah. Training camp, same place. So it was like, it was a huge cultural shock and just a learning experience. I'm getting the, the better stories now as I get older, but he hasn't shared too much like on the it. off the field stories? Yeah, the locker room, the bus. Yeah. Um, Why did he stop after four years? Because a lot of those guys would go 10 years in the minors. Yeah. You know, um, that's the one question he hasn't really answered directly, but I think he knew it was time to try to start a business or something like I think he knew he was giving it his all and it, it wasn't happening, but yeah. he's not really a quitter. So I don't know. That's a good answer. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I'm but, surprised you're not giving it four years before jumping. I mean, like CAA is a dream job. Yeah. I, I'm very excited to be there. So he was excited that you played your first full-time professional lacrosse season with no distractions. Was it different than being at Loyola and, uh, and quote unquote being a full-time lacrosse player, even though we have classes, but you practice every day, which is yeah. the difference. So while living in Baltimore, I got to hold on to all of my Loyola resources. My same trainer who saw me as oh, a freshman. As when a, you were working in finance. Yeah, yeah, so I stayed with him from my freshman year. So that was uh, Coach Brandon and then Coach Dave and Coach Andrew on nutrition. I got to use them during college and after the pros. So I felt like I was right back in it i was still in baltimore like i kept my routine pretty similar yeah um but uh doing it full time i was like the guys at ecd kind of gave me a key and they're like come shoot here whenever you want which is like the worst thing that happened because i started going there at like nine o'clock at night but i would work out at like 10 a.m i'd make like a huge breakfast before i'd come home nap eat i'd shoot i would nap i'd go shoot again like i filled my whole day with training do uh do you think your shot got better from shooting every day? No. Um, I think at one point the PT guy had to give me like a pitch count, like a like a yeah. baseball pitcher because of my back. He was like, you're not doing anything by shooting this much. He's like, you're kind of damaging your back. Hmm. So I was like. What was the pitch count? Um, at first it was like 100 shots. It was In like, one day, right? Yeah. That's it was, a lot. I tell yeah. people like. We, we're used to hearing the Larry Bird and Michael Jordan stories of shooting a thousand baskets yeah. a day, but 
but they're flicking their wrists. Yeah, this like is a we're violent throwing motion. Heavyweight punches. Yeah. Right, and um, yeah, I, I try to stick to the pitch count, but like you know, how it's like you miss one, you want to finish on a make. Like you just yeah. you keep shooting. Um, I think I was I micromanaged myself too much last year. Like my best example being, I got down to IMG Academy and I asked our nutrition. I sent the nutritionist our menu there. And he gave me like a meal plan of what to eat and when to eat it. Really? I was like 235 pounds. I was like as jacked as I'd ever been. Yeah. I was just like counting how many shots I took. I, I think I got doing too much and I lost kind of the creativity and the fun part of it. I, I just got way too, because it was the only thing I was doing. So I thought if I'm doing it full time, I got I to gotta weigh my food. I got to sleep certain hours. I got to have the same breakfast every day. And then to do all that and not have a successful season was beyond frustrating. Yeah. Were you nervous at training camp? Very. Uh, I was texting my dad every day. Kind of, it kind of felt like freshman year again. I was like, I think I'm going to get cut. I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to get cut. I'm not playing well. Um, but I, that's kind of what I was hoping for. I was like, I hope it's super competitive, and, and I want to feel nervous about playing lacrosse. I want to. That's how I felt in high school. That's how I felt in college. Yeah. I want. I want those pregame nerves of getting cut from a team. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially when you commit everything you have to performing as you did and you were training this is it's, it's actually really inspiring to hear that honestly because I, I tell younger kids particularly in like the eighth grade the ninth grade range where they're capable of developing quickly is they ask me how they can put on weight and put on muscle in particular and i'm like you got to eat like a bodybuilder mm -hmm. i mean honestly it's going to be bland it's going to suck but you should ration out your protein, your carbs, make sure they're great carbs. And that's probably going to be the same fucking carb yeah. every time. And, and then you're, you know, you're unsaturated fats yeah. and you got to hydrate. So walk around with a gallon of water and stuff that you see the top weightlifters and powerlifters do like, that's what you need to do. And I guarantee you'll put on 10 to 20 pounds of good weight. Yeah. I mean, like growing up, my dad was like obsessed with height and weight. He loved those two statistics. So like mine's so well documented. I know how much I weighed freshman year of high school, freshman year of college, like each year. So so walk us through this. What were you freshman year of high school? I was six foot two, 145 pounds, okay. face off guy. Um, okay. Uh, six to one forty. Uh, yeah, 145. 145. That's so that's really thin. That, yeah. And then what were you by senior year? Six five, like 190. Wow. Wow. Um, I came into college, maybe like 190, 195. End of freshman year, I was 205. Sophomore year, I was like 207. Only two pounds between yeah. those two. Yeah, I just. Well, did you guys have, lift a lot at Riken? No, we ran a lot. That was we, like me at DeMatha. We didn't yeah. lift much. So when I went to Hopkins, I went from 185 to 215. Yeah, you had you're like a 20-inch neck. <laughs> but that's a big jump. Yeah. Because I, that was my first time having exposure to daily strength and conditioning. Yeah. Primarily I mean, strength. I trained very functionally. I was we did that article with Nelson Rice about like where it was like talking about my background and it was like need for speed brought me to lacrosse or something and i was trying to describe my dad's workouts with me without him signed sounding like uh like the marinovich project Cause, right because <laughs> like he had me doing box jumps like outside he had me doing dumbbell stuff he had me doing like all this explosive work when that i was starting like, at what age probably like 13 
I have a story of I was laying on my back doing uh, floor presses and he's just kind of sitting there and uh, I was just too weak for the 25 pounders. I dropped them on my face, chipped my tooth. And he was like, don't tell mom, but <laughs> Did, no spot. No, no spot. No saying. spot. No. Yeah. yeah. So he was just like, cause he grew up like in Panama, like running staircases to train and doing all this. Like they had limited resources, but they trained hard cause they wanted to either get seen by a scout or go to college and play. So he was like that same mentality. Yeah. For yeah. me and my brother. Yeah. What did your brother do? He played lacrosse too, but he had some nasty injuries. He tore he tore both labrums, both ACLs and just kind of called it quits. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a massive element of luck. Yeah. Is our ability to to a certain degree remain injury free. Yeah. I was listening to your uh the one with Kyle and you said there's contact at all times it's not like football where like you know your routes yeah. like lacrosse is so fluid that's right and unpredictable it's like there's so many acls or so many injuries in lacrosse it's scary it's it's probably it's one of the most dangerous because of it being full contact based and it being fluid at the same time yeah and we have to bend down to get the ball off the ground and you're putting all these weird situations. You're shooting a jump shot on the run, then exposed when you land, and mm -hmm. you're gonna get hit. Yeah, the jump shot's terrible for your hips, your lower back, and then the landing terrible for your knee. And then if you get hit, yeah, everything is in danger there. So, so why lacrosse? So you get your gifted athlete. Yeah, uh, you know. One, one more comment too. Uh, height, uh, unless I'm, unless I'm wrong, I'd love to hear if I am. Height you can't control. Weight you could. Your yeah. your dad always said. Let's measure your height and your weight. Yeah. Could he figure out a recipe for getting you to 6'5"? He's the shortest of his five brothers. He's one of 10. And he's he's 6'2", and he's the shortest of five brothers. Wow. All of his sisters are like 5'11", 6 feet tall. Who's the tallest? I think one of his brothers is like 6'5", but my cousins like go up to like 6'8". So did he, did he, was he able to like manufacture height for you? You know, I Jordan mean, used to stretch from yeah, the monkey bars. No, no. Like, I think once the doctor kind of did our did that, like, what is it, like a bone graft thing they yeah. do? And they tell you how tall you're going to be. I don't think it's a graft, but yeah, they yeah. do some type of x-ray. Yeah. They were like, he's going to be minimum of 6'4", maximum of 6'6", six, six, and I'm like 6'5 and a half. Oh, they were spot on. Yeah. Um, All right, so let's go back to lacrosse. So so why lacrosse? You know, that's a question I've been asked a lot because I've, I've never had to explain what lacrosse is more than I have here. Like I was explaining it in the in Uber LA. on the way here. Yeah. And did you the, tell the Uber driver to follow PLO? Yeah. <laughs> you I did? I did not. Oh God. My, that's Mike's, I didn't even know where to start. That's, that's Mike's best ground, ground game yeah, right there. Is he I should. tells Uber drivers to follow us. Well, he has a, 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 an authentic and organic conversation with them about lacrosse and then he tells them about the league and he usually gets an Instagram follow. Yeah. Well, nice. I see how he's building his followers there. <laughs> Uh, for me, um, lacrosse, I played probably strictly because my brother was, and I would do everything my brother did. But yeah. since I've come out here and I'm like, oh, lacrosse is this game with like a net and like even people at work are like, wait, why did you play lacrosse? Kind why do they say you? Kind of like the, the lacrosse stigma and what they think it is. They think it's like, literally like I'll scroll through comments whenever like lacrosse gets on like house of highlights or something. And all the comments are like trust fun ball or like, yeah calling it like squash and like super preppy. So like that's that's what people think when they hear lacrosse. So I was like, how do I explain why I played lacrosse? Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, when when you're little, I don't I don't see those stereotypes. I just see a sport. My friends are playing, my brother's playing. I want and to maybe play. the stereotypes weren't as 
they weren't as as um, you know enlarged, I guess, back yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I look at a lot of the the outrage and the outcome of the Duke lacrosse scandal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though those guys were exonerated. Yeah, I mean, it, it that was because I was in school then, so you were just in high school, maybe. Was, that what was that? Oh five, oh six, oh six. Now I was like in sixth grade. In sixth grade. <laughs> Um, so so you're in sixth grade, but that was because that was cover of Time magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, it was a huge deal. And what we learn about in entertainment and news and show business and politics and sports is, it's actually people remember what the what the peak of the story was. They don't often remember how something started or how something finished. Mm-hmm. They remember the story at its peak, and at its peak was when it was at its worst. Right. And you had you know four to five white guys being charged with rape and sexual assault of um, of a stripper, yeah, and um, and that was something that our sport has struggled with shaking. I mean, the only true part of stereotype is I think those guys would not have gotten off if they didn't have such incredible resources. Like if they didn't come from powerful families, even though they were innocent. And yeah. from mostly what I've heard, great people. Yeah. Like if they didn't have money, like they would be in jail. Yeah. Like they they had to pull out all the stops and to get out of that. Yeah. They were in a terrible situation. So you don't resort to, hey, I, I play this game because I love it. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what I say. Is and it? I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> essentially. And then I'm like, well, I'm trying to change that stigma. I like, yeah. I think a lot of my friends I met don't fit that stereotype. Like, well, there are some ungrateful people playing lacrosse, but like, not my friends and not the people I grew up playing with. Yeah. So I, I have a positive story on that end. Yeah. So your brother played. Did you play other sports? Uh, I played baseball, obviously, because yep. my dad forced that on um, to like fourth grade. I was like a switch hitter too. I thought I could have been pretty good. I just didn't like it. Um, I played soccer when I was super little, and then I played basketball in middle school. And then my knee got so bad, I like could barely get like two inches of a vertical off the ground. I had Osgood Slaughter's disease, so yep. like basketball. Had that. Basketball was the last thing I wanted to play, and I had a hard enough time playing lacrosse with it. Um, and all my high school pictures, I have some kind of knee pad on that knee. Yeah, that little band underneath your kneecap? A little band underneath. Or one point I got like a volleyball, like McDavid pad, just yeah. because it was literally like a, a bone bruise. So I had to like have something to soften any impact I had on it. But yeah. Did your dad know anything about lacrosse? No. He was I, like, all right, go ahead and play. And then you loved it. You fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, you're, he, you're like a lax junkie. Yeah. Oh my, I could tell you like everyone's stick. Like I could, I could tell you about when Donowski got that stick penalty against Georgetown, switched sticks, came back, scored low to high. I was at that game. Karate stick with the two black U's. Um, all of your sticks easily. Um, like I, I, a huge lax rat. Yeah. So sticks. Yeah, sticks. And then you'd go to the Final Four and stuff go like that. Go to the Final Four. I would go, I'd beg my parents to go like an hour early because I wanted to watch warm-ups. I wanted to see the drills they did, and I loved seeing how neat like the sticks were on the sideline and how many sticks everyone had. Um, and I like I started being a lacrosse ambassador like as soon as I picked the sport because I was at a battle, I think, with my dad, being like, this sport is legit. Like, this sport's cool. 
and having to prove to him why the sport was great. Because he wanted you to spend your time back in baseball or sports that yeah, because he was more like, marketability, more he was like baseball contracts are like six years, twenty five mil, or like ten years, twenty five. Like why? Like what? What's the lacrosse contract like? I was like, I think. I don't know. I think some players make like a mil a year. And he was like, hey, the best players make a mil a year. That's terrible and compared that's, to baseball. That wasn't the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking out of my ass. I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, the best players make like a mil a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I, I've been explaining the game. Now he's he's a lax rat too. But um, does he know the game well? Yeah. Like I'll tell you, my dad is a, yeah, obviously a big lacrosse fan and supporter. Works for the PLL. Mm-hmm. Um, but still relies on his basketball analogies when yeah. interpreting what's happening on the field. Okay. Yeah. Is my dad, dad like that with baseball. My dad, my dad loves baseball analogies, but he understands the game completely. I think yeah. like he'll come to me. I like when I was back home for the PLL Academy, not too long ago, we're in the car randomly. And I, I was talking about someone's pat. I think we were talking about Schreiber's passing and he was like, and you know, you used to pass the ball pretty well too. Like your assists and goals used to be pretty equal. I don't know when you lost that part of your game. Just as I'm like getting out of the car, I was like, where did that come yeah. from? But he just watches games like yeah. on repeat. Like if I come, if I were to surprise him at home, he'd have a college game or like one of my old ML games playing on the TV. Yeah. Like he just keeps watching and studying what I do. I remember watching you when you were a freshman and being like, this guy's a beast. <laughs> you, could, you could split. Yeah, the key. I'm telling you, I've told countless people this. If you can run by your defender, you have a spot on the field. Yeah, I mean, I I and not only run but blow by your defender. Yeah, and then you shoot the ball hard as hell too. Those are the only middies I like to watch. Like I liked Kyle Dixon, Kyle Harrison, you, Shamel Bratton is probably my best. My favorite player ever. I just Shamel. Yeah, I just didn't really like to bring him up because I didn't. I kind of had some open ends after he uh, got dismissed from UVA. I was like super pissed. I was like, I don't know if I should bring this guy up in interviews. I've never met him, but like I was just so disappointed in that. But like he was by far my like favorite player to watch ever. Were you worried about bringing that up because how few black people are in the sport and you would be yeah. tied to that if you were like, hey, Shamel's my favorite player. So I'd be like, well, were you going to be dismissed like Shamel? Yeah, I, I mean, no, I mean – that's that's why the disappointment was so good. I was like, this guy's trailblazing for us, yeah. and he's like the coolest, best player I've ever seen. He's so smooth, ridiculous athlete. And I was like, I literally taped these two uh, rings on my stick now because he had three, and I was like, I'm not as good as Shamel, so I'll do two. Amazing. So I have two on my stick, and I can point those out in my pictures. And like I, uh, he was my phone background as like a freshman in high school, like everything. And then when he got dismissed from UVA, I was like so disappointed and Damn. angry. I was just like, Were, you weren't in school yet. I was in high school, yeah. No, but, you weren't at Loyola yet. Though. Oh no, no, I was like a sophomore in high school. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was very angry. How do you feel about um, the way that? So we were talking about the stereotypes of lacrosse and it being um, kind of projected as this elite exclusive club primarily consisting of like white trust fund babies yeah um hyper conservative and you know putting up uh, these you know barriers for others not to enter yeah um but you being a part of not only uh the younger and next generation of players but also representing the minorities of lacrosse that are you know just fewer than in way of numbers than white players who play yeah 
um, and your background is um, Dominican and Spanish? So, uh, so my dad's from Panama. My mom's from El Salvador. El Salvador. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't even know where to start. That's a deep question. Uh, I think the problem with the game is accessibility. Equipment is expensive. And, like, the best coaching is at very good schools. Like, I think if you go to a school like Georgetown Prep or, like, Deerfield, like, you're going to – you're probably going to go to a good college and get a good job. Like, lacrosse isn't necessary probably. Like, you don't need to play. And, like, you see that a lot in lacrosse. Like, a lot of people – college teammates pro teammates are like man i wish it would have gone to like auburn and just had like a good time and i'm like you like i needed this sport as a college ticket and they just were like it's kind of like i don't know people decided to play because it was a fun and it was a good time and it was too late to quit but like in in basketball and football that edge and that hunger is because people need the game the game needs them and in lacrosse a lot of people are ungrateful for it do you think that uh that that's probably the majority of players in college, but when you get to the starting lineup, so what I what I think about having you know played professional lacrosse for more than half of my now playing days, started when I was twelve, I'm thirty four now. Is that, and this is frustrating, is that the caliber of athlete at the professional level can go toe to toe with any other sports league? I, I genuinely probably. Uh, feel that way and I've yeah, played pickup games against NBA players and I've played you know football against Ravens players and a lot of those are at like shared workouts and stuff but there's uh and there's be- a lot better athletes than me that are either up and coming or never made it in pro lacrosse because they didn't have a skill set but yeah I-, I think that the call it any pro sport the one percent who make it they are subjected to the opinions of the 99% of athletes in their sport. Yeah. I think that's something that's really hard for us as professional lacrosse players to deal with. Because I would say that there's no one in the PLL that doesn't want to play. Yeah. I think to play pro lacrosse more than any other sport, you have to have your shit together. Like, if one, your playing salary isn't enough to support, you probably have a full-time job. Like, how many people can have a full-time job and play at a high level like you have to be an organized person or if you are doing it full-time you probably have a camp business you have endorsements like you're an organized person too so like in other sports you can or in college even you can be that kid who just kind of is a gamer gets it going but like you can't get away with that in the pros i don't think you have to be on top of your of your life (laughs) hold up we're gonna take a quick break in the conversation with romar to welcome our official ticketing partner. This podcast is brought to you by our incredible friends at Ticketmaster. They're the official ticketing partner of the PLL. The PLL is now powered by Ticketmaster. And if you're looking to attend a PLL game this summer, head to PLLtickets.com or open up your Ticketmaster app to get your tickets today. That's PLLtickets.com or click on and download first the Ticketmaster app, search Premier Lacrosse League. We're looking forward to the games week one at Gillette Stadium. Get your tickets today, and we'll see you there. Well, one more thing before we go back to the show. Let me flip to my Twitter account, and yes, give us a call if you want tickets, too. The number is 310-928-1107. That's 310-928-1107. All right, back to the show. Have you thought about 
ways that we can get and kind of equip, to your point, accessibility, um, more minorities and giving them more access. And there's a lot of great work that's being done. We were both at the Harlem Lacrosse event yeah. in LA a few weeks ago. That, that's a great but, start. But what do you do? I mean, I I was pretty anti-social media before, but now I'm trying to be head on with it. I, I answer a lot of DMs. And weirdly enough, yesterday my dad was at um, going to the post office. He was going to send me something. And uh, I don't know how it came up, but he said, like, I swear to God, this happened. <laughs> the lady yeah. was like, uh, they started talking about lacrosse and the lady was uh, African-American and she goes, oh, my kids play lacrosse and we bring them to lacrosse games. We went to a Bayhawks game and the kids were like, well, there's like literally zero black players here. Why would I want to play this game? And my dad, who was sending a package to me, was like, well, just like Google that name. They'll see my son. Like he plays and he, he'll probably look like them. Like there's one player there. Like they can start Amazing. there. Yeah. And like he, like this was yesterday and I was like, no way. <laughs> like that yeah. is, that's great. But like I get... It probably you DMs. said DMs probably happens every day. What are some examples? Dude, a um, lot of them are, are people reaching out for advice like that. Yeah, a uh, ton or people asking to shoot that still think I live in Baltimore. Um, but yeah, I, I respond to all DMs most of the time. Like I like just try to respond to kids because I remember I never had like the balls to like Facebook message or or message a college player or pro player. So like the fact that like a, a kid is messaging me, I'm like, well, I definitely got to respond. Yeah. Um, so that's a start and then posting and explaining and being a trailblazer yeah. is another way to start by doing what you're supposed to do, not getting in trouble, not being like a punk kid is, is the first step there. Yeah. So like you got to lead by example. But you got in trouble too a bunch. In high, <laughs> in high school, yeah. We've all gotten in trouble. Yeah. In high school, I got in trouble a bit at the end there. What, what were you doing? Uh, I started... Um, I don't know. I started cutting corners, getting a little lazy academically, uh, plagiarizing a bit, but um, my behavior wasn't great either. Well, you said that the uh, in basketball and football, oftentimes the person needs the sport and the sport needs the person. Yeah. And different than your peers, you needed lacrosse mm -hmm. to get into high school, to get into college. Yeah. And that's the case for college basketball players and football players right college is expensive yeah. and you wouldn't have been able to achieve that without well, a full ride i could probably go to a state school which are tough to get into i could probably like there are there are options but not nearly the options that playing a sport get you get more academic leeway and then you get the full the athletic scholarship and so why do you think that so you wanted to play you know yeah. you wanted to play in college mm -hmm. and do you think that pressure started accumulating so you felt like all right i need to get an a on this in this class to it was help kind of the, what, the opposite it, just, it was the opposite i committed october of my junior year to loyola so i was in a kind of in like cruise control my brother was away at college so i was just like my brother definitely keeps me in check like if i'm acting a certain way he's the first person to be like what are you doing or and 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 keep me in check so he was gone, and I was already committed to Loyola, so I was, like, just super cocky. And I was like, all right, well, I can do whatever I want at this school for sure. And um, obviously they're, they're not going to give an exception for uh, for cheating on on, on academic stuff. How so did I you got, get caught? Uh, what is it? Turnitin.com. 
like turnitin.com is this website that like just does an extensive search of whatever you submit after you submit it electronically and i got caught on like the same assignments like again and again and again this is after my time in school so you were submitting papers electronically to professors yeah it makes sense yeah we would print everything out looking back i'm like how stupid was i but so they so they would then take the attachment funnel it through the tech the tech would recognize plagiarism. Yeah. And then you got an email or you got called in? They'd call me in or hold me after class. Did you know immediately what it was about? Yeah. And um, so, but the funny thing is Coach Southern was so old school. He was like a detention is way too easy. You get to miss practice and just sit there instead of being in the cold with your teammates. So he he had a ton of respect and power at, that, at Riken. So he went to the school and kind of... Um, he came up with an agreement where there would be additional punishment for on top of the punishment. So he had a written contract that I signed that said I would clean the cafeteria every day as a senior when all the seniors hanging out outside to clean the cafeteria. I'd clean the locker room every day, like vacuum, Windex, organize. I'd fill up the water coolers. And then there's this huge hill behind Riken, and he'd take me back there to run a couple times a week too. Wow. And that was on top of detention? It, it was re- in replacement for detention. Replacement. And so did that get back to Charlie Toomey and Loyola? No, no. They never knew uh-uh. until now. <laughs> until now. <laughs> um, but uh, it's funny because... What, what was going through your mind? I, I hated... Co- I, I love Coach John to death now, but I was like, man, I hate this guy. Like, he just doesn't like me. I hear, you, I hear but that when you got caught, did you think you were going to lose your scholarship? No, I thought, um, honestly, I thought I was going to transfer schools or something, maybe try to go to Calverton. Um, I was just like, I figured I was just going to weasel my way out. And my, my dad was like, absolutely not. You don't get to, my, both my parents were like, you know, you can't just act up somewhere and then leave and just get a fright. Like, that's not how things work. You now have to deal with what you've just done for yourself. Yeah. And so like, it was a no fun zone for me <laughs> for, yeah. for senior year. Um, but on top of that, my parents have a cleaning business. So like on the weekends, like some of their contracts were these corporate offices, like in Upper Marlboro. And I would go there and they would send me there with employees and I would be like a janitor. Like I would clean out trash cans. I'd clean the office entirely, vacuum. So like I was cleaning all like at school <laughs> during lunch before practice. And then on the weekends, I was cleaning these. I was just like... This was your junior year? Senior year. Senior year. After committed going to Loyola. Where, did you feel shame around that? I, I just kind of put my head down. I was like, I just this is something that's non-negotiable now. I have to I have to do this. Yeah. And I think it was serious character building. So you get to college and you're probably the most threatening midfielder in the country between your skill set your ability to dodge Whoa. past defenders. And the book on you was that you couldn't put the ball in the net. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're aware of that, right? Yeah. I, uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that? So that wasn't really my, I don't think that was what I was known for going into college. That just like became a thing in college. Cause like everyone's like on top of their game in high school. Not me. I was known for not being able to hit the net in high school. Really? Oh yeah. Like I, I would have one for 18 shooting days, yeah. 18 shots. Yeah. Oh man. And so, uh, and then I, I tell people, I got, I got, you know, you get lucky in, in college. Would you shoot like 33% as a senior, junior? I, I don't know. 
you you probably know it better. Is, it is 33% was it, <laughs> as a junior. Was it? Yep. So I tell people, I, I will say that I, I tell people this, I think quite regularly now, but the uh, I think it's close to about 50-50. The shots that go in go exactly where you were aiming, and then the other 50% of the shots that go in sometimes go the opposite corner, go lower, go slightly higher, slightly off. Yeah. And it's been a, a good psychological learning tool for me because – uh, when I miss by just a couple of inches or hit the post, I would get so frustrated. And now I remind myself that, Hey, there are probably just as many, if not more shots where the ball doesn't go where you're aiming and it goes in. So I view shooting differently. And that's, and that's also helped me lose the obsessiveness of pregame routine so that I felt like completely optimal and confident going to the game. There was one season in the MLL where I was just using, I, I would actually put this to practice. This was after I started with a sports therapist but I would just pick up one of my three sticks on game day. And it didn't matter if it was the one I used in practice. It didn't matter if it was a backup or the third. I'd pick it up and I'd be like, whatever happens is going to happen. You, that's what, that was what you did in college? No, I did it in pros for oh. a year. One of, one of my highest scoring uh, what years. Year, what year was that? 2011? No, no. It was after I was with the Lizards. So it was 2016. 2016, I was just using one or two. I would 2016. trade out, do a warm-up with one stick and grab the other one. And I was just like, fuck it. 50% is going to go where I shoot. The other 50% will go in, and I wasn't aiming there. Was that when you used the all-black stick? <laughs> Might have been. In, in, <laughs> I'm just that like, was the year I went off, though, from, yeah. from a goal score. I had the most goals I, yeah. I had ever scored that year. I had some 40-something. I thought 2011 was, like, your year. That, that was when, um, that was, when I, I was, yeah, I felt like, you know, I was at my prime athletically, and – it's just very resilient from a contact standpoint. That was, was hard to get. That was hard to take down. That was the year where you were like shooting jump shots and regular shot two pointers. I was with shooting both hands jump shots from twenty. Yeah, Harrison used to text me about it. I was like, dude, this because people that was a mess. Middies either shoot on the run without <laughs> jumping or they shoot jump shots and they favor one hand. You were jumping with both hands and, or running regular with both hands. Yeah, I wish those games were on NBC. <laughs> There's a 2011 highlight tape that got taken down, and I know you have it. <laughs> I don't. I do feel like I was at my peak, uh, oddly enough. I was playing my best ball I've ever had in my life in 2014 when we lost the gold medal to Canada. That tournament, I was 28 years old, and that tournament I just felt like it, it was – you hear about it as a student of sport like you are, like you reach this this – pinnacle moment in your career where they tell you this at least that you get 28 to 30 or 28 to 31 and 32 depending on who says it where it's this amalgam of athleticism with experience and decisiveness the experience allows you to make decisions quicker and anticipate them before they come and the game actually slows down yeah so you speed up athletically and the game slows down it's very it's like it's 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 very mental because it, it doesn't make sense physically uh, but I felt that, and then of course had one of the worst games of my career in that gold medal game. That was uh, I remember watching that, and I just didn't understand what was happening. I was like, "Dude, we're this team's huge." Garrett Thule was like this massive guy, it's bigger than every other country's team. Yeah, just trucking people. Um, and I was like, "Our this is the most stacked team ever." And then I liked how it was like Richie Mead was coaching, so I was like, "This team's very uh, detail oriented, very coached hard." 
And I just didn't understand what happened in that final game. Yeah, I felt the same way on the field. I I couldn't understand what was happening. I think it would be like, it was like a really low scoring game, and then yeah. like final was eight five. Yeah, that's... and it was like I remember it was like four or five to one at halftime, and it felt like it was ten to nothing. Oh, you know those feelings. Yeah, and they and then John Grant Jr. didn't play. It was wild. Like it was all young players. We we had what was being called the best team of all time. Because we were rolling everyone. The Iroquois were supposed to be in the championship game, and we were up 10 nothing in the first quarter when we were playing them in the round-robin game. And they had the Thompsons, and they had you know, Bomberry, and, and uh, you know, all of like the top Native American players at the time. They were fun to watch. Oh, gosh. I, I had never been a part of a team that, that, was, that was that talented. Yeah. Anyway, um, I forget what we were even talking about prior to that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking. I think we were talking about your ability to shoot. Oh, dodge, my, my, you're pass. saying that my shooting yeah, percentage was like a you. big question yeah. mark. Let's stop talking about yeah. <laughs> my black we're, stick and my sports psychology and yeah. shooting and all this bullshit. Um, all right, so so you're in college, yeah, and you're getting your hands free and yeah. you're throwing howitzers at the net. It's, I mean, when I arrived there on campus, I was super skinny. Um, and I remember the phone call with my dad saying, uh, like no one bites on my split dodge, this defense, Laconi, Duffy, Fletch, Frage, Runkle, this defense is like a unit. They're all like huge and they just don't bite on shakes. They weren't? They were crushing me. I was like freshman year. Yes. When I got there, I was like, dude, I can't buy a goal. These kids, these, I was like, Laconi is like five foot nine and he weighs more than me. He's he's demolishing me. And he was like, oh, you know, it's your first week. The the Mets. But you were given your same shake or did you develop it? I was just so exhausted. Like the conditioning was like, I, I don't think any other team conditioned like that. Like, I remember talking to other players and on other teams, and it was like Loyola's run test, Loyola's conditioning was just awful. And I just, I was not ready for that. And I, I was so exhausted. And we would do like serious conditioning and then full contact practice. And I was like, I mean, I barely sleep. I don't eat right. Like, I am. So you guys were really fit. Yeah. Yeah. And these kids, these guys were all the national champions as sophomores. So they, they knew the ropes. The seniors were super dialed in. Like, the, t- the team was a well oiled machine. And, um, it was very hard. I like. I had a very hard time. So when did it click? I, like I didn't even notice it happening. I just kind of got in better shape. I my dad loaded up my like food card, my Evergreen card, and I started crushing breakfast. That was a big game changer. Um, I didn't even think I was doing that well at practice. And then like we scrimmaged Team USA. I scored on Kip Turner. On um, I was one for one on that shot. We scrimmage UNC. I get in there. I go right to left against a LSM. I score on that. So I'm like one for one in the fall. We go to UVA first game. I'm two for two. I score one righty, one lefty on the run. So yeah. I was like, my shooting percentage, I am dialed in here. Yeah. I miss the next like 25 shots I take. <laughs> Why? I just, I like, I, I didn't have, a, I didn't know I was doing well. I, it was just like, I had no idea I was going. Freshman year was a blur. Yeah. I, it was so difficult physically. But once you start missing, were you, it was difficult to get out of the funk? I, I tried to get, um, I tried to be superstitious. I remember wearing the same tie I wore to UVA. I started um, trying to do like mimic things I did on that game day. I slept with my stick a couple times. I was like, I restrung my stick maybe like 20 times. And it, did it help? It, it was like, 
by then and then then I broke my finger and like three games in against Duke by or, a check no it was before Duke I was like super uh just nervous playing wall ball with cleats on on this pavement where we're not supposed to and I slipped and I fell Ugh. and this finger is just bent on a 90 degree angle Ugh. so then I like have this weird stint on my hand feels weird and I was like so in my head my shooting was just awful um but athletically I, I definitely just was taking leaps and bounds as the year went on like I was I looked super fast on film I was very quick and I, I just wasn't shooting very well yeah but I still ended up with a couple points and I was starting by midway through freshman year um, but that team was very unselfish there wasn't like a dodging threat or anything like we so like I was just a part of the offense um, how and, fast can you shoot I have no idea. Oh, come on, dude. You know everything else. The last time I got my shot clocked, and I like legitimately was I did a t camp with the Thompsons freshman year of college, and I shot like 101. Freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. You can shoot. The, when you shoot, it hums. Yeah. I, like I haven't. Especially on the run. It. Yeah. And if you get it on net, it's going to go. Yeah. That's the big thing there. That's the big thing there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to to grind you here yeah it's i just want to know i mean because I, I look i i have I, you know shooting's a hard thing it's my it's, shot selection is poor i think you've got a good shot i yeah. think you have a reputation that you don't yeah you can't put the ball in net uh -huh. and i think that that sticks in between your ears and you let it get to you I think my ability to hit very difficult shots makes me only take very difficult shots. Like what, if, the nature of what we do is difficult shooting. Like if the PL did one of those shot charts that they've been doing, I hope they don't do mine. But it would they would all be outside of the two point line. Right. There'd be a couple inside. Which well, that's, is, that's just dumb. Well, I've challenged our stats team to think about shooting percentages related to position. Yeah, you I've know, always thought like that because in basketball it's it's pretty neutral. Uh, unless you like take the shooting percentage of yeah. what's now been eradicated as the center yeah. or power forward, like a like a true center, like a Hakeem Hawajuan or David Robinson, Tim Duncan, those guys' shot percentages are high because they shoot closer to the net. But in lacrosse, a differentiation between positions and shot selection is so different. Like you yeah. and I are on the run, low angle, yeah. you know, around the arc, and then you have someone like Eric Law and Marcus Holman are, are primarily catching shoot, and it's not decrediting them. Yeah. They play their position better than anyone else, but it's it's a different. I think there should be different shot percentage charts per position and yeah. even style of play. One of my favorite stats that we're going to start rolling out, and we pulled this from a company called Squawk Box. So so they're, they're Squawk a Box, I should say. They're in uh, in, in Europe and they stat the EPL and La Liga and Bundesliga, and because there's so few scores during a match of a soccer game. They stat everything else. So number of passes and then number of passes completed versus number of passes incomplete. Um, they they have a stat called take-ons. So it's essentially they're dodging. Oh, yeah. Um, and so they'll give a number of take-ons in a game, and then they say of those, how many were successful and unsuccessful, and they qualify a successful take-on like a dodge and lacrosse. In our case, one that would draw a slide. Yep. or lead to a shot. Because sometimes we don't draw a slide because they decide not to and we shoot. That's a successful dodge and you don't even think about the shot or the assist from it. So then what you're able to pull is like, holy shit, this midfielder dodged 14 times. 
Ooh. Like that is a that's powerful. We should have that that's guy. That's a on crazy our team. stat. That there's and so then much of the gray 14 area. stat of the 14 dodges, they drew the slide 11 times. They may be zero and zero, but they drew 11 slides on 14 dodges in four quarters. That's a powerful figure. The um the guy who does like Moneyball lacrosse did one on me my f- rookie year in Denver, and he compared me to Marcus Smart, and he was like, he's not shooting well, but when he's on the field, they slide to him immediately. Yep. And it's like, why is that? And it was like, like so many more points are scored when Marcus Smart has the ball, even though he's an awful shooter. It's like th- the threat of it. But I don't, again, I don't think you're an awful shooter. I, I don't think to, so either. I wanted to pick at you there to see yeah. how you feel. I don't think, I think I have a great shot. So you're when people, shot. I think you, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because I'm sitting across from you. If I had a bad shot, I don't think I would confidently go and do any camps or anything. I'd be like, why would I be teaching kids how to shoot if I shoot that so bad? That'd yeah. be like me running. You're a, an honest cat. I trust that. Running a defensive clinic. But does it bother you when people say it? Like, does it live no. with you? So I'll tell you an example for me. I don't think so. So I'll get real with you. So I don't, I've, I've had, you know, mostly uh, nice things said about me up until the last two years. And the last two years, I've, you know, went from 32 to 33 and 33 to 34. And people that, that tell you that you don't have a good shot, a lot of them is just, you know, coming from the peanut gallery. And then mm-hmm. I was having this conversation with Brody Merrill this weekend is once you start creeping into your mid-30s, people are just going to immediately call you washed, washed up or old or not capable anymore. And so, but that, but my, my point of saying that is similar to you is like, that still plants a seed in your head. I think, and what, it probably affected you or affects you. It does. does it allow you to get more frustrated quicker? When it'll affect me when I stop shooting so much, and that's what pissed me off about this year because I averaged like barely over two shots a game. That's yeah, not enough. I was like, like no midfielder shooting fifty percent. So if I sh- if I canned one of every two shots I get, I'd be a productive player with one goal a game. But I'd have the most insane shooting percentage of any midfielder, which I will never have. And everyone will scoff at a goal a game. Yeah. Like, so eh. it's like, I was like, I was in an impossible situation. And then, um, why don't you, why don't you shoot more? I didn't, I, there were times where I'd play once I'd get one run a quarter. Yeah. I like, we were, we were very dysfunctional. Um, but I, I was, I don't know. We were a very stubborn group. Yeah. I think we made it hard for the coaches. Did you, uh, do you wish you got taken in the expansion draft? Kind of, sort of. I did an interview where it's, it seemed like that. I'll stick by what I said about what the Water Dogs were going to be like, a top team. But I was like, I either want to go somewhere where I'm going to play a lot or I, I want to play a lot here. And if like, I don't know which of those is more true. I don't know if I'm going to play a lot here. Yeah. Um, Have you talked to Sudan? I had one conversation with him. Yeah. That didn't go well. It didn't go well? No. Well, he called me and he said, hey, uh, we have a question mark, question mark next to your name depending on if someone retires. And I was like, what? why would you say that, first of all? So I, was, I didn't like hearing that. And then um, he was like, yeah, it's a shame you didn't have more success this year. And I was like, he's like, I've been watching a lot of film. It's a shame you didn't have more success. And I was like, well, it's hard to have success from the bench. Like, I don't know how you're going to see film of someone who started getting, takes two shots a game. Take, like, gets, right. you're pinch hitting. You can't get in a groove. But yeah, that's basically what, like, all he said. And um, 
so at that point I was like, all right, fine. Like if I, if I don't want, if I'm not wanted here, then yeah, I'd gladly go somewhere else. Yeah. But I take it that he's not a very communicative guy. So maybe that I, I appreciate how straightforward he was. Like, I'm glad he wasn't like, Hey man, I really hope we keep you. And then just didn't. Uh, right. So that was before the draft, the draft. So you didn't know whether you assumed after that conversation that you weren't going to be protected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't call Copeland or anything. I haven't called any other coaches. I was just like, we'll, we'll see how it goes. What's it feel like to be unprotected and go back to a team? If you could like not necessarily personalize it, but for the bulk of players, so most guys didn't get picked up by the expansion team. And we always knew that was going to yeah. happen. It's a bizarre thing. It happens in hockey and MLS. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an ego shot, but um, – you have to be fully aware of what you think you're capable of. So like if you talk out of your ass and you're like, I'm like an MVP caliber player, what is this? And you aren't, then it's like, what are you talking about? Right. I think when you're on a bad team, it's more acceptable to be outspoken about that because if you're on the Patriots and you don't play, you sound like an idiot. It's like this team is a well-oiled machine. They don't need you. But like if you're on the Browns, and you won a, a Super Bowl the year prior, then like, yeah, maybe you should be playing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and you can voice your opinion. That's what pro sports are about. Athletes now having a platform. So like, I'm frustrated that I like, like, like we were talking about, I put in all that work and then, um, I, I don't like, we lost so many games and I like, I think I had, I could have helped us win games. Yeah. So I think every single person on our roster from top to bottom should be furious that we lost so many games. Yeah. Like as a starter, I've been on a losing team, on a losing record, and I feel worse because I led us in a direction of losing so many games. As a bench player who's putting in the same amount of work, it's annoying because you didn't get to help us win. Yeah, and you're talking about coming from a Super Bowl. So you won the championship in MLL the year prior. Yeah. And then you decided to leave MLL and come play in the PLL. So right. You're talking from one-to-one -one experience there. Yeah. So I was like, all right, things are going perfectly in Denver. I have a great relationship with the front office. It's world-class. I think it's better than every other team. Um, but the PLL seems like a different opportunity, so I jumped over there. But I was like, all right, just one. I'm now in year three. I'm, like, taking my nutrition and workouts and shooting to a next level. I'm like, this is, like, the blow-up year. This is the year. And now the PLL with a different kind of attention that we haven't seen before in this sport, more cameras on a field than they have for the final four in college lacrosse. I was like, this would be my time to, this will be when I can decide if I want to be that full-time lacrosse player or not. So to come in and then it to go like that, it was like extremely frustrating. It was awful. Yeah. And I have my friends and family are very supportive and they watch a lot of games. And like, we just talked about it like every Sunday after the game, like what's going on? And I'm like, I mean, I don't play. And yeah. when I do play, I don't know when I'll get in there again. I take like a dumb shot and we end up losing anyway. Like uh, it's. That's the thing about it. That's what's kind of what I was getting to is it can compound, right? Yeah. It just gets, got worse and worse. Um, it was a very frustrating year for all of us. We should all be pissed. Yeah. Where do you think you'll end up? I don't know. Are you are you doing anything to try to end up somewhere? I don't know. I thought about that. Here's the thing, man. Just like when we sat at Atwaters, you got to sometimes take your destiny into your own hands. You got to manifest whatever it is the fuck you want. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I, like me, I, you know, taking a wedge and bringing this out of you is, is it, you know, is step one maybe, but you know, if you're, you just said you didn't talk to Copeland, maybe you had you, you would have been picked up by the dogs. Possibly. Uh, I mean, yeah, I thought about working that. now. It's a challenge of working too, is now you are dedicating a lot of your day to focus at CAA and building your professional career. Yeah. So, um, I thought about that too. I was like, should I put on my best rich Paul hat and just be like, I control where I go or Antonio Brown before he started being ridiculous, kind of being like just dealing your own cards there. And I was like, well, I like each team would be a great opportunity. Like I think on the Redwoods, I played with Cav and Kyler Westberg just left, but him too. Coach Nat seems awesome. Obviously I'd love to play with Kyle as a childhood idol. I think me and Perkovic together would be a nice little wrinkle in the offense. Two big two point shooters, archers. They don't really have a dodging threat outside of Schreiber now that Dan Ipe's gone. Um, chaos. They shoot a lot of twos. I love shooting twos. Uh, Whip snakes. Uh, I haven't even thought about the whip snakes that much. It's not like you thought about the fucking atlas either. <laughs> oh well, I didn't know if you'd take me. That's <laughs> it's not up to me. It's up to Rubes. That's true. I I love Ben Rubio. I love that UVA team, even with their ugly helmets. I know all about that team. Yeah, those gate helmets. Awful. Um, <laughs> those are the worst. Awful. He's such a gear hound. Him and Glad- see, and the Bratton still made him look good. <laughs> Um, that's so true. So uh, I remember, you know, you want to know my uh, Bratton story? Yes, please. So I was older than them, and I I felt similarly as you. And they were juniors in high school. They were at Cold Spring Harbor, if I recall. Huntington, Huntington, Huntington okay. Station, New York. So Stephen Pizer knew them, and so that's why I slipped on the on the Cold Spring. So they came in and. Um, on their recruiting trip and I spent a lot of time with them and we played hoops cause they were fucking great basketball players mm-hmm. and I was playing basketball for my life. And, uh, and then just had, I thought just had like a really good experience and we felt like we were going to get them and they committed to UVA. Uh, Not a great story. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I felt like, gosh, these guys would have been, uh, unbelievable here. And, um, and then I ended up playing against them, and then they beat us at Virginia my senior year in overtime. Um, yeah, yeah, they were really good. they were really great that game, and they're just they're just great great people. You had lefty down the alley near side high, right? Those were so one when of those, you swam move, uh, was one Tim's. of those fifty percent where yeah. I was where I was shooting far side and went short side. That LSM Tim's was like six four, six he five. Was a tough one, to and get you by. swam and went lefty hit that near side. Yeah. Um, I was aiming far side though. Were you? Does that fuck you up? <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, I was like, what? A, what? A, I was like, what a shooting, what a lacrosse genius. He just knows, he knows Gittleman's gonna, or whoever it was is gonna hop off to the far pipe and just sticks it near side. The yeah. balls on this guy no, to no. bet against the goalie like yeah, that. No, not a genius. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. There are there are times where I do aim short side, but that one against, I didn't uh, against Galloway. You did it. Oh, yeah. In the championship. Yeah. Your senior year. Yeah. I need to stop. I like shooting. <laughs> I like shooting short side, but I'll do it. I'll typically do it when I feel really good about 
you know, the, the touch of the game, my sense for the game, because it's, it's a, a heat check. Totally. And, and it's either going in the other direction or you're missing the net short yeah. side. And if you, and I always felt like to your point, uh, it was really hard as I became a sophomore, junior and senior to get quality shots. Some cases I would be shut off during games and get slid too quickly. So if I had a chance to shoot, I always felt like I wanted to put it exactly where I felt like the highest percentage would, would be. Now, if I was starting to get into a rhythm and I'd get eight to 10 shots in a game, then I'd start exploring other other corners. Yeah. I, but that one, we had a slow start. So I was like, whatever I can do to get the ball on net here. I guess same. Like I don't, I wouldn't shoot near side unless I was absolutely feeling it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a hard shot to do because your momentum is is pulling you away from the net. And you train so much to just hit, to paint that far pipe. It, it's tough to change yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we're taught to shoot low and away. It's the it. best shot. So the, the, it's the best shot because it's the most difficult to save. Mm -hmm. And it's also, uh, if you pull it across your body on the run, you're also, not only are you are you putting it to the right spot, but by pulling the ball across your body, you're actually using more muscles and more torque. And as a result, you're getting a faster shot. So short side, because you're kind of letting it go early by snapping your wrist, because you're changing the trajectory, you're not getting the full momentum. Mm -hmm. So it goes, you know, four or five to potentially 10 miles an hour slower. That's an interesting take. So you got to be in closer for that near side shot. Yeah, unless you unless you're really fucking with the goalie and they're anticipating what you're doing. Like I, I like to shoot short side on Queener because he he is one of the best goalies at playing the smart shot, and he'll catch the ball because yeah. he plays the smart shot. He's he plays where the shooter's tendency is. Yeah. So I'll shoot short side on him. I'll shoot short side on Galloway a lot. I like to shoot five hole on Galloway because he's so good with his feet. Yeah. The most difficult thing to do for with him for his feet is to get them together. Yeah, I hate shooting on like the taller, lankier goalies like Galloway or like Dylan Ward because I'm like I don't know what they're gonna do. Like they're so springy yeah. when they jump. Dylan and then, Ward's a, a great player. Yeah, he's ridiculous, and he plays a really high arc. Yeah, um, some some goalies like Dylan Ward and see, Schwartzman was like this. You shoot it at their head. Yeah, Schwartzman's yeah. a big dude too. Yeah, because they're so good and they're so springy at covering the four corners that they have a tough time, and sometimes they move the stick too fast yeah, they're only going with huge movements so they yeah. can't do the small so you ones. shoot it and i'm not talking about like hit them in the head i'm shooting yeah. it above their heads like center of net goes in on them sometimes huh yeah interesting yeah. um i i think goalies like scotty raj get me because they're big and i take very low angle shots down the alley sometimes so like you literally can just stand there scott's five hole yeah <laughs> shoot it five hole because he's 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 big so he covers both pipes and his hands are really quick. Yeah. So he uh and, and and so he, you know, his his weakest spot would be his five hole. And it's not saying that that's a spot that uh that is um that's easily scored on. It's just I like to think about goalies like where are they where are they not at their best? Put it that way. Make the goalies that are yeah. listening happy. This makes me think of a factor now of how much harder it is as a goalie because there's six of them and we know them all so well. Yeah, but they know us so damn well too. But that'd be like a but six goalies. So you only have to memorize six goalies' tendencies. Here's my thing about lacrosse, and it's very different than basketball, is that a uh, there's a couple of things. 
One is in basketball, take Steph when he was an MVP. He could he could score from anywhere. And he was so talented because of his range, you'd have to play him close and he could beat you off the dribble as a result. So you would shut him off. The thing about basketball, it's a small court and you can set these rub picks to get someone open. So shutoffs don't really work. So that's number one. Number two is in basketball, as soon as you get the ball and you're on the opponent's side of the court, as long as you have your hands free, you can shoot. Yeah. You don't have to have your your you know your feet set necessarily. You don't have to have momentum. It's like anywhere on your opponent's side, especially now, Dame Lillard and Trey Steph, Young. Trey Young, they shoot as long as they can sh- get their hands free. And the third thing is that there's no goaltending. And that is the biggest difference between you take a top offensive player in lacrosse and you could script the field size and the number of players on the field and number of possessions relative to basketball, but you have a guy who is keyed on in basketball that can get to 15 points in his sleep between the free throw line and getting a couple buckets in transition, some layups, and a three. So so in lacrosse, so you can shut off a top player and that person walk away with no points because there is goaltending in the form of a goalie. And, and for me, the difficult that, that, like, I used to always think about translation to basketball and I'd get frustrated, like, gosh, why doesn't Jordan ever have a game where he has five points yeah, or zero points? It's just different straight up. And, and for us, going back to the, the shot selection is we've got to beat a long pole, get a shot off from range on the run before the slide arrives. And if the slide arrives and we kind of bump and run, we have someone in our hands while we're shooting, which is deterring the, the power and the accuracy of the shot. And then in the end, you can beat your defender and the goalie's got to beat and the goalie's hot all game. You don't get a goal and everyone's saying, oh, the defender shut down Romar. The defender yeah. shut down Paul. And it's right. just a it's just a full team sport. Yeah. Coach Van Arsdale loved basketball analogies and he taught me a lot about catching and shooting in rhythm. Like you don't yeah. hit threes when you're just dribbling. Stop. Yeah. Look around and then just put it up like you when you catch and shoot same thing in lacrosse so yeah especially for the off ball like like Holman yeah. is probably the closest for me and Westerbelt was like this to a basketball player like catch and shoot yeah. rhythm shooters move off ball they catch yeah. they shoot their shooting percentage is high mm-hmm. that's true yeah. you just got to give them the ball and like where they want it and it'll probably go in yeah, Holman's shot chart was the most spread out one I've seen. He was all around the crease. He was shooting twos, and he was, he was his was, like, covered. Everyone yeah. else very clearly had their spots. Their Holman shot from both sides of the field all over the place. Yep. Pretty good. Yeah, it's nice to be an attackman. All right, so that's basically all I got for you, man. All right. We went deep. Yeah, it's a good talk. It's a good talk. Good relax. It could <laughs> – it could have gone much longer. It could have, yeah. I was checking down. I was like, man, we're just we're just talking about plays and players and string jobs and all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, we got the good stuff in there. The, um, the heavy stuff was first. Yeah. And then it lightened up. Yeah. Which is good. It's good. Get people engaged early. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, that's it for the show. Hope you enjoyed the range of topics that Romar and I covered. And as we said at the top of the show, 
we're especially excited to welcome him to Atlas Lacrosse Club. So how about that? You come on the show, you ask to be traded, you get traded. And again, we had no idea, but that's just the kind of shit that happens. So Atlas is now welcoming Romar Dennis. We're going to have a great season with him. Make sure you follow Romar on Instagram at Romar Dennis. And then make sure you also subscribe to this podcast. Give us a five-star rating and please leave a review. And in that review, if you ask a question, I will spin that question to my next guest, which next week we welcome Rookie of the Year, Tim Troutner, another Redwoods player. See you then. Mm.